tonight's Bible reading comes from Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. And if you're using one of the church Bibles, you'll find it on page 778. So we're going to read from Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. A prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, and I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. Thank you, Miriam. Well, hello, friends. Good to be back with you after a, a short break. Well, I was on a short break. You guys kept going. And so, praise the Lord for that. But we are going to explore God's word tonight. For some of us, it's Malachi. Others, I've heard it's Malachi. Is that anybody? Some of the, I think this side of the room was enjoying that. The other side is like, please, get going with it. Let's go. God's word. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dig into God's word together. Our good and our gracious God, we, we thank you for your word. And we always do. And so tonight, as we read a part of your word from the Old Testament, by your spirit, please speak to us. May my words be yours, that whatever my strengths, whatever my weaknesses are, may you be made great. Work through us, whether we're in the room or across the screen. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when you, we all need love from people, right? And when you need to be assured of your love, uh, be assured of someone else's love for you, what is it that you do? Now, I'm not just talking about marriage or anything like that. We all have relationships with someone uh, that we hope or we know love us. It might be a friend, could be a family member, might be a sibling, could be a partner, boyfriend, girlfriend, someone you're married to. But when you are doubting that love or you need assurance of that love, what do you do? What goes through your mind? as that happens. Now, for most of us, what we're going to do is we're going to look to something that's happened in the past and it's going to ground us and like, okay, they do love us. Or we're going to look to something in the future, some kind of hope, whether it was they were there for you in your darkest hour or they've been with you consistently, whatever it may be, or some hope of what's going to happen in the future, a joy, a time, an adventure. You hold on to something that's going to ground that love that they have for you. Because when, we, when we're not sure of that love, one of two things is probably going to happen. We're going to get anxious and depressed, or we're going to become very apathetic. And we're going to search for that love somewhere else, in someone else or in something else. And in many ways, that is like a premise to what we read in the book of Malachi. God is a God who deeply loves his people and is on an intent mission to demonstrate, to show that love, to draw them back to himself so they can turn from being apathetic and continue in their relationship with him. When you look at like the images that we have on the screen and like the the leaves, it's like this decay to new life. That's what we see in Malachi, death to life, decay to beauty and goodness. That's what the book of Malachi uh, is about. 
Now, amongst that, you might be asking, why are we doing Malachi? It's a bit of a strange in the middle of the Bibles, at the back of the Old Testament. And if you're familiar with the prophets, you're like, isn't this just weird, strange language? We have that Bible reading, and you're probably pretty keen to move on from that weird stuff. But there's actually some real beauty that is in the prophets. In the strange language that it is in a foreign time, it is still God's word. And it's useful for teaching, correcting, and training in righteousness, and it grows us in our relationship with God. So that's why we want to look at all of God's word. And at the end of the year, uh, we come up to Christmas, and so Malachi leads us, is the last book in the Bible, and directly leads us to like hoping for the Messiah. So I like that kind of, we're going to finish Malachi just as we come to Christmas. That's just a, a joyful thing for me and us, I guess. But then the third reason is that this is a book for this time. It's a book for this time in our life, in this moment. Now, without kind of giving a direct reason for that, I want to paint the picture of what's going on the day of Malachi, what's going on as they first heard this word uh, from God. And hopefully through that, it will become clear why it is that we want to explore Malachi uh, together. Now, to do that, we need to ask a lot of questions about context, what's going on at the time, so that we can understand it well and then hear what it is what God is saying. So first, you have a look at verse 1, and in a sense, that broadly paints the picture. It says, A prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. In a sense, very straightforward. This is God's word through a person named Malachi to the people of Israel. Now, Malachi, the name in Hebrew, literally means my messenger. So Malachi is the messenger boy of God to the people of Israel. The weight, the, the, the kind of intensity of the words, the authority of the words, they don't come from Malachi. They're God's words. And that is where the weight and the emphasis comes from. The audience is Israel. And so we need to ask then, what's going on in the life of Israel at this time? Now you might know, you've probably heard this lots of times before, but the Bible isn't just 66 books of random stories. It is one united story, one big story, and each of the books tell part of that story. Now, Malachi is at the very end of the Old Testament, at the end of what Israel's story is prior to Jesus. And so the story of the Old Testament, God's come to them, and they're just going in a cycle, following him and turning away, following him and turning away, constant, constant, constant. But the big moment that has happened prior to Malachi is exile. They've been sent out of the Promised Land, into Babylon, but now they've come back. And we're thinking, wow, this is, could be a big time. I'm going to build up the story of God again. The temple's been rebuilt. The walls are built. So we're expecting grandeur in a way. But we don't get that. Uh, we get the opposite. And that brings us to what the reason is that God has given this prophecy. What's the occasion Right? Prophets don't just come out of nowhere. Whenever we read any part of the Bible, it isn't just happening for no reason. There's a reason that it's written. And the reason here is that there's a problem. The problem is that people of Israel here have neglected God. They haven't necessarily hating on God. They're not necessarily like gung-ho for all the other religions. They just don't really care. They're giving God their leftovers. And it's led them to decline. It's led them to immorality and corruption. As I was saying before, they're in decay. So God wants to bring them to new life. And the way that he's going to do that, the way he's going to inspire them is through a series of conversations. 
through a dialogue between God and the people. And there's six conversations. We're looking at the first conversation tonight. And all the conversations go a very similar way. God introduces whatever the topic is. Then the Israelites question God, and then God gives an answer. Caught me an encouragement, a rebuke, a correction, uh, whatever it may be. And so as we kind of look at all these conversations, we see that people are doubting, they're cynical, uh, they've got corrupt leaders, they've got a lack of care for social justice, their marriages are up the putt, and there are some who are faithful. It's a bit of a mixed bag of what is going on. And so the situation is best captured and what God is trying to do to them is in chapter 3, verse 7, where God says, return to me and I'll return to you. Return to me. That's the heart of the book. Return to me because I'm a covenant-keeping God. They've fallen, they've left, they've become apathetic, but God still pursues them. Now, I know that kind of just rolls off us, we hear that all the time, but that is one of the absolute most beautiful things about our God. And we see that here in Malachi. And for us, we might find ourselves in a similar position. The works of God have happened, but we might have become apathetic. We, God may have slipped in our priorities. Maybe we're like, yeah, God, you're on our priority list. But God is saying, I don't want to be on your list. I don't want to even be number one. I want to be the list. I want to be the paper on which the list is written. That's what God is about. Whole of life. And that's where the beauty, that's where the goodness comes. Uh, and he leads us to eternal life from that. So that's what we're getting into. A God who is calling us from decay into life. And something that is beautiful. Now as we start reading, we might be expecting that God is going to be like, okay, let me list out your sins. Let me list what you need to do. Let me list how it is that you've fallen away so then we can fix that up. But that's not how God begins. We get to the first conversation in verses 2 to 5, and we see that God declares his covenantal love to them. That's how he starts. If you read verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord. If you've been a Christian for a long time, you're familiar, but let me remind you, and if you don't know, let me hear this. It begins with God's love. Every time, any time, all the time, it always begins with God's love. You've strayed, he is there loving. Now, in the slide and in your notes, you'll see there's a bracket, always. Now, the always isn't in your NIV Bible. I, sometimes it's really hard for the translators to capture all the, the things that go on in the original language in the Hebrew. Now, the Hebrew is written in something called the, perf, in the perfect tense. That means nothing to us. What it means is that it, this isn't just a past action. This isn't God has loved you in the past only. This is God has loved you in the past, he loves you in the present, and he loves you in the future. It's like when you watch someone get married and they say, I do. It's like a past comment, but it has a future reality to it. It's ongoing. It should never end. That's what God is saying to the Israelites here and in this moment. I've loved you, I currently love you, and I will love you. Now, Malachi is full of what we call covenants. Are people familiar with covenants? But it's like a contract, like a binding agreement. Similar to a marriage. Two people enter into a covenant relationship. 
And the reason that God is so sure about his love, the reason that the Israelites can be sure about God's love is because of the covenant that he has entered in with them. Now, it might sound a little bit dull, perhaps, that God begins with his love, but that is one of the most liberating, beautiful, glorious things about the God that we serve. Because it means that he doesn't require you to love him first. It doesn't require us to reciprocate something first. It doesn't require merit. It doesn't require work. Why does God love you? Because he loves you. That's why. There isn't any other reason other than God has chosen to love us. And that's what we see here to the Israelites. And that is what has been consistent throughout the Old Testament. Creation, through the calling of Abraham, he didn't do anything first. God calls. He loves him first, bringing him into a nation. The Exodus story, if you're familiar with that, saves them, then gives them a law. In Malachi, let me tell you I love you, and then we'll figure out what's going on with the mess that's in your life. For us in our day, it's captured best by Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 5. God demonstrates his own love for this, for us in this, that why will still sinners Christ died for us? It isn't merit, it isn't work, it isn't waiting, it isn't fear that maybe he won't. While we were sinners, while we were an enemy, God loves us. So our relationship with God, you want to start it, you want to continue it, you want to grow it. It always begins with God's love for you. It begins with God's love for us. Now for the Israelites, they're not really seeing it that way. They're concerned. They're unsure. And so they question God's love. Now, we, as we read the rest of it, we realize that this questioning is with a very negative attitude. And so in verse 2, the people ask, but how have you loved us, God? As we look throughout the rest of it, the tone is actually, God, don't give us some history lesson. We don't care what you've done in the past. Lord, what are you doing for us in the moment? I don't see your love. I don't feel your love. The situation is dire and desperate. Your love is pretty non-existent, God. Show me how you love us because we don't see it. That's what the Israelites are saying. That's their question here. It's dismissive. It's abrupt. It's apathetic. It's I don't care. God, show us because we don't see it. Now, you've got to remember the situation. They're not thriving they look in what's in the immediate term and something else looks more attractive to them. The promises of God don't look all that sure. The presence of God doesn't seem felt. But that's because they're only looking at the immediate situation, looking at the here and now. They've got their blinkers only on the very existent moment. They forgot what God has done and forget what God will do. It would kind of be like if you were a frequent traveler on an airplane. Anyone frequent travelers on airplanes? Probably not really, but you, you'll get the picture. If you, if you traveled on an airplane before, you know that they taxi. They get, you get out of the terminal and they have to wait or travel in some way to the runway. This kind of attitude from the Israelites is like if they were taxiing and they were sitting on the runway somewhere, they're seeing planes take off, land, take off, land, move all around them. They're not moving. And the captain says... Don't worry, the plane's going to take off. And they go, no way. We won't see that. We don't know that. Prove it to us. But if you're a frequent traveler, you know, of course the plane's going to take off. You can trust in the captain. That's what happens. 
And that's the, the problem what the Israelites are doing here. They're only looking at the immediate. And it's grim and it's dark. What's unsure for them. And for us in this generation, we are in such danger of that. Because we're in danger of that because we're like the microwave generation. Click, 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 on, bang, done, I got dinner. Right? We don't just have slow-cooked meals. We now have fast, slow-cooked meals. You know, we, are, we want it and we want it now. That's who we are. Now, in a sense, it's not necessarily bad. But it means well, we need to trust in the promises of God that happened in the past. We need to look to the promises that are going to happen in the future. And it looks like God doesn't care for us now. We want immediate results. And it makes us question God or it makes us doubt God. But that raises the question, what are we do, are to do with our doubts that we have about God? How should we deal with them? How should we think about them? Here the Israelites, as I was saying, was dismissive of God. They're spiteful. They're apathetic. And so they're throwing like kind of abrupt doubts on him. But does that mean that all doubts about God are bad? Can we never doubt? Always just look to the past, look to the future, dismiss your doubts. I want to say clearly the answer is no. Doubt is a part of the Christian life. Not because God wants us to doubt, but he knows that we will. And so, I guess I want to say, if you're doubting, you're not alone. If you're doubting, that doesn't necessarily mean you're a bad Christian. If you're doubting in something or shape um, or form, it doesn't mean you should keep it to yourself. You might be in that very season right now. Doubting for some reason. Maybe God doesn't seem real. The evidence doesn't stack up. Maybe something horrible has happened in your life. Maybe nothing has happened in your life. For whatever reason, you might be doubting in your relationship uh, with God. Well, I want to suggest to you, doubt is not the opposite of faith. In our faith with God, there will be seasons and times of doubt and struggle. And so I really like this quote from an American Baptist pastor named J.D. Greer. He says, faith is not the absence of doubt. It is continuing to follow Jesus in the midst of doubt. So the problem isn't that when we have doubts, the problem is how we then deal with those doubts, how we engage with those doubts. Because there's unhealthy ways to engage with them, and there are healthy ways to engage with your doubt. Now, the unhealthy way is what the Israelites are doing here. Abrupt, dismissive, don't care, going to look for security in something else. But there is a healthy way. The healthy way is to come to God with your doubts, to come to him with the doubts. He encourages that. And the two, I want to suggest two practical ways to do that. And the first is prayer. And the reason I want to say prayer is because we have the Psalms. And if you've read the Psalms in any way, shape, or form, you will know that they just express the totality of human emotions. Joy, to struggle, to triumph, to pain. And God, amongst so many things that are going on in the Psalms, He is saying, throw your emotion on me. Throw your question, throw your doubt, throw your uncertainty. He's saying, more than throw it on me, I'm going to give you permission. More than permission, I'm going to say, sing them. Like, that's crazy. Sing your doubts to me, children of mine. Like, what a God that would say that. 
because he knows in our development as the people of God, there'll be seasons where we're down. And he says, come to me, pray to me. God can handle your doubt. Any, every doubt that you have, pray them to God. Pray them to him. And the second thing I want to suggest is share and explore that doubt with, with other Christians. In Christian community, don't just do it alone. Pray to God and express it, share it with other Christians in community. I was chatting this week uh, with our youth pastor, Mr. Lachlan Miller. And we're talking about doubts. And he was chatting about um, a guy named uh, Sean McDowell, who put a podcast out this week talking about doubt. Now, if you know anything about Sean McDowell, he's the son of a guy named Josh McDowell. And if you're familiar with Josh McDowell, he is one of the, oh, the greatest, but like he's a really inf- influential, big Christian apologist of our time. Very famous excellent work. His son, Sean. His son, Sean, goes, Sean Christian, goes to uni and amongst it all has huge doubts about his faith. Rocks him emotionally, rocks him intellectually. He doesn't know what to do with all these doubts he has about his faith. And so uh, he says, he goes to his dad and he says, dad, I've got to be honest with you. I want to follow truth, but I'm not convinced that Christianity is true. I'm having doubts the son of one of the greatest apologists of our modern time. You know what Josh did, the dad? This is what the dad said. And Sean says, I'll never forget what my dad said. He looked him in the eye and said, son, that's great. And Sean said, dad, 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 I don't think you heard me properly here. I said, I'm having doubts. And his dad replied, you can't live on my convictions. You've got to decide for yourself what is true and follow it. Don't reject what you've learned having grown up out of spite. Only walk away if you're really convinced Christianity is not true and know that your mom and I will love you no matter what. His dad heard Sean's doubt. He didn't dismiss them, he heard them. And then he encouraged him to explore that doubt in healthy ways, in community. And so over the long... The long journey, Sean has now become an amazing apologist himself. He worked through those doubts with his dad, with other Christians in prayer. And it deeply strengthened his relationship with God. And so friends, I want to say, at Naui Baptist Church, that's the kind of loving community that we want to be be about. We want to be people who grow in our relationship with God, who express that in life. And it will have, there'll be times where doubt comes. And so share your doubt with one another. Pray it to God. Don't let your doubts drive you away from God. Allow your doubts to drive you toward God. Because in God where the answers to those doubts are found. Direct your doubt toward God and not away from Him. Through prayer and through Christian community. And we will grow in your relationship with God. It won't be overnight, but that's where your relationship will grow. And then that brings us to verses 3 and 5. Because even though the Israelites are dismissive of God, and God knows that, God is a covenant-keeping, loving God, and he wants to pursue them. And so he, having declared his love for them, he's then going to demonstrate his love to them. And so we read verses 3 to 5. And so we had it read before. I won't read the detail uh, again. But the summary is that the Lord says, I've loved Jacob, and I hated Esau. And basically, I'm going to turn his place into a wasteland, and you're going to see that the Lord is great. Now, in some ways, that's exceptionally confronting language for us. 
Like, we don't really talk in that kind of language now, and it seems kind of like counter to God's character in a way. But in this time, the Israelites would have found that comforting because their enemies at that, case, at that time were the Edomites who, who come from Esau, and they had oppressed them. And God is saying, I love you, Israel, so I'm going to fight for you. I will fight your enemies. You can't love someone without fighting for them. See, God has chosen Israel. He loves them, so he's going to fight for them. He fights for the one he loves. Now, how do we know that God loves us? Because he's demonstrated, how has he demonstrated to us in our time? We see it in the person of Jesus. See, a new covenant has come. It is a new time in history where all people are invited, called to become part of the family of God. And the true enemy, which has always been the enemy, sin, evil, and death, is the one who God fights for us. Sin and evil have corrupted good creation. We're made in the image of God, we've been corrupted. And God goes to fight that corruption, to redeem us back uh, to what he's made us and called us to be. So why does God love you? Just because he loves you. He's chosen to love you. And he demonstrates that through the person of Jesus going to the cross. And that's what we're going to remember when we go to the table together. We're going to remember that Jesus came for us. That we're united with him. We're united with one another. So then how can you come? How can we return to God? Like if we are doubting, if you're in that moment of life, or, or will be in that moment in life in time to come, or you're feeling a little bit apathetic, or you're feeling intrigued by the love of God. How do you come to him? How do you return? Now, I said it before towards the start, but the thing we have to remember is it always begins with God. In every and any way, he's the one who loved us, he's the one who calls us first, and there is immense security in that. There is no greater sense of security, no greater sense of love that can be found in the world than the fact that God has always loved you. That's where it begins. Now, if you want to come to God the very first time, uh, what we see throughout the rest of Malachi, and especially into the rest of the Bible, into the New Testament, is that we come and repent and have faith in Jesus. That's what it looks like to come to Jesus for the first time. If you want to know what that looks like, what that's about, please come chat to me, come chat to Ange, come chat to another uh, Christian who's beside you or with you. I want to help you understand what that looks like uh, in your journey. If you want to come to God for the first time, But for those of us who have come to God, you're in God's family, but perhaps have strayed, I want to suggest three things that come from what we've looked at in this passage. The first is, look to God's actions of the past. At times we're called to set our heart on things above, like Colossians 3 verse 1. In this passage, it's saying, look to what God has done in the past. Look to his action, look to his love, look to his commitment, look to his faithfulness. Because that carries through all the Bible, carries through to now. So look to his past actions and then primarily look to the action of Jesus. So straight after this sermon, we're going to the table because that's the first thing we're going to do. We're going to look to the person of Jesus. We look to the past action, the historical event. Jesus coming as a human to die on the cross, to live the perfect life, die on the cross, rise again in victory for his glory and our good. It might also be to look to the other promises of God. It might look to how God has been at work in your life, to how God has been at work in other people's life. 
God's character is consistent. So look to his past actions. The second thing to encourage us in, and this gets developed throughout the book, is to develop the the rhythms and reinforce the ways of relationship with God. The rhythms of relationship. Either start them or reinforce them. You're doing one of them right now. Gathering as the people of God, worshipping God, hearing his word, coming to the table, praying. Rhythms of growing your relationship with God. You're doing one of them. Keep going. The presence with one another is encouraging. It builds our faith. The other things, home group, serve others. The classic personal spiritual rhythms, read your Bible. You want to grow your relationship with God? Well, be with God. I know it's the most trite, simple thing to say, but that's where the life is, in relationship with him. Now, all these things, they don't make you Christian, but they certainly grow your relationship with God. It's the same with food. Eating food, drinking water, they don't make you human. But you want to remain human? Eat and drink. Right? These rhythms of life, you want to remain as a Christian, to persevere, to walk into the life that God has called you for, into the story that he has made us for, then continue in these rhythms of relationship. And then the third thing is engage in your doubts. And we said that before, and I will say it again. Well, you will have some kind of doubt in your life, in your rhythms and walk. Engage them. Don't dismiss them. Pray to God. Do it in community. Don't let your doubts pull you away from God. Let them push you toward God. The call of God through Malachi, right at the outset, whatever stage of life that you're in, is continue to return to God. Maybe that's a warning. Maybe that's an encouragement. That's a motivation. And it begins with God's love. That's where it begins. That's where it's going to be in this moment and that's where it's going to continue to be you never need to fear and as we have the doubts we have a god who immensely loves us and is bringing us into a cosmic story that we see part of it here and we see lived out the person of jesus and then into our life into eternity today so i'm going to pray then we are going to look to the past as we come to the table and look to the future where jesus comes again so let me pray for us Father, we thank you so much that your character is consistent and your character is one of love. You are one who loves us immensely and you hate injustice and evil. And we thank you so much that we see the collision of love and justice on the cross. Father, I pray for any of us in this moment who are doubting you in some way, shape or form, whatever that looks like, for whatever reason, by your spirit, help them to draw to you, not to be pulled away. Protect them in the name of Jesus, I ask. And Father, may we grow more into the likeness of Jesus as a result of whatever season we are in. May we be confident that you're taking us from periods of decay to periods of life because your spirit is at work. We are part of you and your story and we look forward to the coming of Jesus. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.